you would now take out your Bibles with me. Let's open them up to the book of Romans in chapter 6. The book of Romans, chapter 6. We are continuing to work our way verse by verse through this wonderful letter. For the last two weeks before today, we have been looking at verses 12 through 14. And this morning, we are going to look there one last time. Verses 12 through 14 of Romans 6. So let's read that together. Romans 6, beginning in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. There is a definite resurrection connection in these verses. Uh, In fact, if you've been with us, you know that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has been part and parcel of what we've been talking about throughout Romans 6 to this point. Here's the connection that Paul has been making for us. Jesus rose from the dead in part so that His people would rise from the dead spiritually. That is, Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the confirmation that His work on the cross was sufficient and that His people would be counted right in the eyes of God and would be brought to new life. A dead Jesus cannot send the Holy Spirit into people's lives, open their eyes, change their hearts. A risen Jesus means that the work of atonement has been finished, And that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth to send the Spirit into human hearts and to make dead sinners live. Could it be that there are any of us here this morning who have never experienced that spiritual resurrection, that miracle of being born again, Could it be that there are any here still dead in their sins and trespasses, dead to God, dead to salvation, dead to true living? And you need to be made alive this morning. We see this resurrection connection in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that, here it is, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you see the connection? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus experienced new life after death. And now because of His saving work, we who belong to Jesus will experience the same thing. New life. Look at verse 5. 
Verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. In other words, you cannot separate the death of Christ from the resurrection of Christ. They absolutely go together. And therefore, you cannot separate the death of Christ's people from the resurrection of Christ's people. They absolutely go together. Those who believe on Jesus die to sin. And 100% of the time, those who die to sin are made alive to God. Christians are new creations. Christians are those in whom the old has passed away. The new has come. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, we'll see it again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus doesn't die and then rise over and over and over and over again. The death and resurrection of Jesus were once for all events. The death He died to sin was once for all. He is alive forever. And so it is with His people. When we die to sin, when we're born again by the Spirit of God so that we no longer love sin, but we put it away and we hate it and we repent and we begin to follow Christ and we're alive to God, that is not a repeatable experience. You cannot lose your salvation, become enslaved to sin again, die to sin, rise again, love Christ, die to Christ, become alive to sin, and do it over and over and over again. That's not salvation biblically taught. It is a once-for-all experience of having died to sin, new life, and that's why we illustrate it in baptism, where we show, going under the water, I have died to my old way of life. There's no going back. And I'm rising again to a life of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse 12. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And we've seen in this verse that our enemy in this new resurrected life is sin. Sin used to reign over us. We used to be dead to God and sin ruled our hearts. But now that Christ has opened our eyes and we have seen how vile sin is, sin has lost its rule. Our heart now belongs to Jesus. We no longer live for sin. We long for Christ and sin is angry and sin wants its throne back. Sin does not say, well, now that this Christian has turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will leave that Christian alone. Sin gets angry and throws temptations at us. Sin is not a person. But Paul personifies sin here to tell us how sin functions in the life of a Christian. Sin is fatally wounded, killed at the cross of Christ. But it hasn't fully died yet. It's on its way. It's fatally wounded. 
But it's still dangerous. And it's attacking the Christian every day. Its desire is to retake its throne. And sin has allies in us. Because sin wants to use our own desires. And he wants to twist them. Sin wants to take sinful desires within us and have us give our members, give the parts of our bodies over to sin to lead us away from Christ. Sin wants to take your desire for food and turn it into gluttony. Sin wants to take your weariness and turn it into laziness. Sin wants to take your physical longings and turn them into sexual immorality. Sin wants to take your ambition and turn it into self-centered pride. Sin wants to do you harm and sin wants to use you as a weapon of harm. And so this resurrected life, this life of being born again on this earth until we die, it is a battle. The resurrected life is a fight. It is a war on sin. We cannot ignore sin. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So, how do we fight? How do we grow in holiness and put sin away from us? We want to do this because we want to be useful to God and we want to be a blessing to our families and we want to be a blessing to our church. We want to be a blessing in this world. And the only way we can be a blessing is if we put sin away and grow in holiness. But how do we do it? How do we fight sin? Well, last week we looked at the first part of verse 13 and we saw our defense in this war. Look at verse 13 with me again. See our defense in this war. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments, weapons. Remember, that's the Greek word for weapons for unrighteousness. Sin wants to use the desires within you to make you do unrighteous things. But in order to do that, you must consent to give your body to those desires. The word members refers to the various parts of your body. So your mind, your emotions, your nose, your ears, your hands, your feet, all that you are. It's you who must choose to open your mouth and give your tongue over to say that evil thing that you desire to say. It is you who desire to overeat, and then you have a choice to make. Am I going to give my hands to pick up that fork again, or am I going to put it down? You may have the desire to look at what you should not look at, to listen to what you should not listen to, to go where you should not go. The question is this, what will you do with those desires? Will you trample them and give yourselves over to God, or will you give yourselves over to those desires so that your eyes Look where they should not look, and your ears listen where they should not listen, and your feet take you where you should not go. So the Christian's defense is self-denial. The Christian's defense is self-denial. Learning to say say no to wicked desires when they spring up within us. It may mean saying no to good desires that ultimately could lead to sin. Self-denial. The ability to say no to some of your desires. We talked last week about the fact that self-denial is only possible if we cultivate self-control. You cannot be a person who lives on impulse. Rather, we must learn to live thoughtfully. 
out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ, full of joy because of what He's done for us, we must learn to live carefully, considerately, with sober minds. Our pace of life must be a little bit slower than everyone else's because we don't just speak, we think before we speak. We don't just act, we consider and even pray before we act. We don't just make snap decisions, but we run everything through a filter of, will this bring glory to my Savior? We tell the desires within us to hush up for a moment while we consider whether this is wise or not. It's like going to the store. You have a budget. And you want to be a good steward of the monies that Christ has entrusted to you. So you walk into Target. You know what you came to buy. And you're walking there towards the back of the store to get it, and all of a sudden something catches your eye. And you hadn't anticipated on seeing this thing, and all of a sudden you have to have it. It's not a need, but boy, it sure feels like a need. It's pulling at you. The desire to own this thing is screaming within you. If you live on impulse, you will be a poor steward. You will give your hands, no, first, you'll give your eyes to stand there and keep looking at it. Then you'll give your hands to pick it up and put it in the cart. And you will give your feet over to walking to the checkout aisle, pull out the wallet, give the money, and 24 hours later you're thinking, what did I do? Why did I buy this thing? We were on a budget. We wanted to be a good steward. We were trying to serve Christ with our money. Why did I do that? You were living on impulse. You didn't say no. There was no self-denial. Living thoughtfully, carefully, out of love for Christ. This is how you cultivate self-control. You will spare yourself many sins and much misery. Now, that was the defense. This morning, our focus is the offense. How do we fight sin in our lives? This is even more important than the defense. Here is our plan of attack. Here is our slingshot and five smooth stones through which Christ will give us victory over the Goliath of sin in our lives. Look at the second part of verse 13. The second part of verse 13, but... Here's what you are to do. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments, weapons for righteousness. The end of verse 13, it's it's very clear, really. Instead of giving the parts of your body to the service of wicked desires leading you into sin, give the parts of your body to God leading to righteousness. According to this verse, you can either present the parts of your body to the side of unrighteousness and be a weapon in the side of sin, 
Or you can present your body, your mind, your emotions, your thought life, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your feet, all that you are. You can present yourself to righteousness, to God on that side and be a weapon in this world for good. Which do we do? You're going to be a weapon in this war of good versus evil. You are constantly either blessing or cursing this world. Those around you. Every relationship. There is no neutrality. You're either a blessing or a curse. Which are you giving yourself to? Your actions will either urge people towards Christ or away from Christ. The way you live will either cause others to love this world more or to grow weary of it and love Christ. When desires within you try to lead you into the service of sin, you must practice self-denial. That's defense. And you must instead give your tongue, give your mind, give your emotions, give your eyes, give your ears, give your hands, give your stomach, give your sex organs, give everything that you are to Christ, to the service of Christ, for the glory of God. That's offense. How do we defeat sin? By giving ourselves to the service of the glory of God. Every day. And every calling that He's placed on your life, and your callings may look very different from my callings, but whatever callings He's placed on your life, whatever your role is as a, maybe a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather or a great-grandmother or a great-grandfather, a boss, an employee, a friend, a church member, a citizen, every role that you feel, every calling God has on your life, the question is, are you fulfilling that role for the glory of God, giving yourself to the service of Christ? Or are you fulfilling that role to the glory of sin, giving yourself to unrighteousness? Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands, let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my silver, take my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments, take my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it's not my own, it shall be thy royal throne. What is the Christian's offense? Happy submission to God. Our defense, self-denial, our offense, submitting ourselves happily to God, to His will, to live completely and always for His honor. Look at the middle of verse 13. This is so important. The middle of verse 13, because we would expect Paul to say, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, we would expect Paul to say, don't give the parts of your body over to the service of sin, but give the parts of your body over to the service of God. But Paul doesn't go straight from one to the other. He adds something else smack in the middle of the verse. Instead of going straight to give the members of your body over to righteousness, he adds, present yourselves to God. 
as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, presenting your eyes and your hands and your feet, all of that begins by presenting yourself first. It's not just your body. It's all that you are. It's your very soul. If God does not have your heart, God will not have your hands and feet. Each and every day, we must be those who begin by presenting ourselves to God, all that we are. God, I am yours. Every part of me. My very soul belongs to you. You are my God. I am your child. I will serve you today. Notice how we're to do this. We're to do it in faith, believing what God has said about us. That is, we are to present ourselves to God each day as those who have died to sin and have been made alive. We are to come before God each day with thanksgiving and praise and humility and gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh God, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, now I'm alive. And because I'm alive, I'm yours. This day is yours. This body is yours. Work through me. Show me what you would have me do. Giving yourself to God afresh each day with fresh repentance and fresh faith, this is the key to the Christian's offense in this battle against sin. Living before God in His presence every day with the knowledge of who you are, believing what He has said about you, that is key. What has He said about you, dear Christian? He said that you're alive and not in bondage to sin anymore. The Spirit of God is within you, working to make you holy. Because of Christ, victory over sin in your life is guaranteed. In light of what God has said, in light of what He has told me about myself, I will believe His Word. I will believe that Christ's atoning work has been given to me and I am a new creation and therefore in gratitude, in humility, in thanksgiving, I will give myself to God and I will love my spouse for God's sake. And I will love my children for God's sake. And I will speak well of my boss for God's sake. And I won't cheat on my taxes for God's sake. And I will say an encouraging word to that friend who's being bitter to me for God's sake. And I won't yell at the car in front of me in traffic for God's sake. Because I'm His. I'm not mine. I'm no longer mine. I've been bought with a price. Christ. Can you relate to this? Is this life as you are experiencing it? Here is the paradox of the Christian life. Our Christian warfare, our battle against sin, is a life of peace that passes understanding. Our lifetime 
of battle against sin is also a lifetime of deep happiness and deep joy, even in the midst of pain and suffering, if we know Christ and are following Christ. Why can we have such deep peace and joy as we fight this battle? Because we approach this battle the way David approached Goliath. Confident that Christ is giving us the victory. We do not trust in ourselves in this fight against sin. Trust in yourself, you'll fall every time. Well, I've got a new plan this week. I've come up with a new formula. I'm going to do this and I won't sin that way again. It won't work. Trust in self will not work. No, we face sin saying Christ has given me the victory. I believe what He says. And therefore, I'm going to act in service to Him and give myself to Him totally. That's how we win this war. So we've seen the, in, the enemy, sin. We've seen the enemy's desire, sin wants to retake his throne. We've seen the enemy's allies, our own desires within us. We've seen our defense, self-denial of bad desires. We've seen the Christian's offense, giving ourselves to God anew every day to live for His glory. There's one more thing to see in these verses. The Christian's confidence in this war. The Christian's confidence. See it in verse 14. See it and rejoice. For sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over you. If you are in here and Christ does not have your heart This does not apply to you. You are not following Christ. You are not loving Christ. Your patterns of life are not being dictated by Christ. Sin does have dominion over you. But for those of us in here who used to be like that, we know that story very well. But something has happened. We've been changed by the gospel, by faith in Christ. This verse is a blessed gift from God to us. We are the ones who, by God's grace, have heard the gospel. We've been changed. We've come to see the glory of Christ. We love Christ. Now we hate sin, and we hate sin in ourselves. We still fall into it, but we hate it when we fall into it and we get up and we wipe ourselves off and we confess our sins and we say, God, help me. Don't let me fall into it again. We're trying to learn self-denial. We're trying to learn happy submission. We're still children in this battle. We still have a long ways to go in learning how to do this. But dear friend, this promise is true. Sin will not have victory. If you are God's, sin will not retake the throne of your heart. As you live in the love of Christ, your love for Christ will always be deeper and greater than your love for sin because Christ is just far better and God has opened your eyes. and You can't deny what you now plainly see. Christ is so much a better Lord than sin. The victory is yours. Because the victory does not depend on you. You understand that? It is Christ who guaranteed the victory 2,000 years ago. And it is Christ who is working in you by the Holy Spirit. 
and sin. Oh, sin's a match for you, friend. But sin is no match for Christ. So do not despair. Do not despair. Yes, you've lost some battles. Yes, you've lost many, many battles. Yes, you keep losing the same battles over and over again. Do not despair. Get up, trust Christ, and fight. You will have victory in the end. Do not become paralyzed by guilt and shame. If you become paralyzed by guilt and shame, you'll give up. Sin will retake dominion of your soul. You will prove that you never knew the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be paralyzed by guilt and shame. Be motivated by confidence in what Jesus has said. Faith in the Word of God is our confidence. Victory is coming, and here's why it's true that victory is coming. Here's why you can have this confidence, the end of verse 14. Here's why this confidence is yours, Christian. You are not under law. You are under grace. You are not under law means that the law no longer has the final say in your fate. It is no longer the law that determines your eternal destiny. Don't think, don't don't get confused. Don't think Mosaic law here. Don't don't go to the Old Testament and start thinking that Paul is talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy. We've never been under that law. We we are not ancient Israel. that, That law is not a law that we have ever been under. We are new covenant people. But even the Mosaic law was a gracious law. Even the Mosaic law provided sacrifices for repentance and forgiveness. If a person trusted the Lord God, even in the Old Testament, they would have lived in obedience and when he or she sinned would have been forgiven. Don't picture the Old Testament law as be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Mosaic law was trust God and show it by a life of faithful obedience. No, the kind of law that Paul is speaking of here is the kind that many tried to make the Mosaic law to be. It's the way all people, by nature, try to be under law. We want something dark in our nature wants to be under law. We want to be under the ultimate moral law of God. The be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect because we want to earn our salvation by good works. We want to earn God's favor. We want to be able to say on the last day, God, I made it. I made it. Problem is, it'll never work. No one makes it that way. No one. Is that you here this morning? Is your plan of being right with God simply... Try and live a decent life. If you live a decent life on the last day, the law will not determine you to be a good person and let you into heaven. Your sin runs deeper than you realize. 
every sin you've ever committed is more heinous than you've yet to understand. What's more, if you choose to have the law determine your fate on the last day, you need to understand it does require perfection, absolute perfection. Will you dare say you've met that standard? Jesus Christ was born under the law. He's the only person in the world for whom that wasn't bad news. Jesus Christ can stand on the last day, be judged according to the law, let the law have the final say in His fate, and the law says, all glory and honor is His. Not you and me. Dear Christian, we are not under law. By believing in Jesus, we are under grace. Grace has the final say in our fate. God's grace in Jesus Christ has determined your future. Let your sins, let your failures, let your mistakes in this battle stack up against you all they will. God's grace has satisfied the law's demands in Jesus Christ and that stack of your sins has been removed. Here is why sin will not have dominion over you, dear Christian. God is treating you graciously. God is not treating you as you deserve. The law demands that God not bless sinners, but curse them. And to be cursed means to be given over to sin and its consequences. If you were under the law, every sin you committed would be repaid by God giving you to more sin and more sin and more sin till your heart was hardened as a rock and you would go to hell enraged against that God you despise. But instead, because you are under grace, every time you sin, God brings you back to the Word of God and the mercy of Christ and reminds you who you are and gives you strength to fight another day. So do not be frightened. I'm closing right now. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Trust Him. Live in His love. Prefer Jesus above everything else. Let Christ be in the center of your heart. And sin does not stand a chance against you. It is very likely there are some in here who do not know Jesus Christ at all. There are some in here for whom Jesus is a far off notion. Knowing Jesus is this abstract idea. You do not know what it is to walk and talk with the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Instead, you serve sin. You serve self You live the way you want to live. You do the things you want to do. You have little regard. Honestly, if you just get down to brass tacks, you honestly don't care much about what Jesus says when it comes to what you watch on TV or any other part of your life. Dear friend, if that's you, you are spiritually dead and you need to be raised from the dead. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ and pray and plead with Him. Make me new. If you even have that desire, that's a good sign. It means the Spirit is working. 
that's you. You go to the Lord Jesus in prayer and say, Jesus, you who rose from the dead, rise me up from the spiritual deadness that I'm in. Is there any guilt over sin rising up in you? Is there any longing for a different way of life? Have you tasted at all the reality that you are a wicked sinner, but that Christ is a wonderful Savior, and through Him you can be different? Then, dear friend, run to Christ in your soul and trust Him. Give yourself to Him. If you still have questions about these things, talk to me, talk to other people in this room. But give yourself to Christ. Turn from your sins. Show it by being baptized in His name and being counted among His people. Learn what it is to live every day in happy submission to the God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine or know. Let's pray. And so take a few moments now.